Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Our favorite word mavens, Catherine and Ross Petrus, join us now. Their most recent book is A History of the World Through Body Parts, which is published by Chronicle Books. And they've written many books about language, including That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means and Awkward, spelled A-W-K-W-O-R-D, Moments, A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. They've also a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong, so, if you have a question on word usage, grammar, or pronunciation for Kathy and Ross, you're invited to call us here at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Kathy and Ross, welcome back to our show, and happy Memorial well, Day. Oops, no. <laughs> I was too excited, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> After his recent indictment, Donald Trump announced on Truth Social, uh, quote, these thugs and radical left monsters have just indicated the 45th president of the United (laughs) States of America. Um, Do many people confuse indict with indicate? To me, that was a first, Leonard. And actually, though, to be really, really fair, if we're going to go back a long time, back into Latin times, the words indict and indicate do come from the same original meaning. Mm. That's no excuse to nowadays get them mixed up. I was going to say, I, I, I don't think that Trump was especially a, a Latin scholar. But I don't think of Trump as a Latin scholar. Well, usually when we see silent, see silent, it comes after an S, like in science and scissors. Right. When it comes after, uh, before a T, like D-I-C-T, um, we have, well... I'm sure Trump is aware of this word, dictator and dictation. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Deft. <laughs> so, well, what, so what do you think happened? Is this just what happens with the English language that words just change over the years? Well, actually, I mean, to go back into the history of indict, the word, it actually does come with, you know, with a C originally. But by the 14, 1500s, it would have been spelled I-N-D-I-T-E. The C would have dropped out. Right, now, wasn't that when it was French? Wasn't it? Didn't it go through on the French? On D in French, yes. Okay, the, I was the, right. Yes. Okay. You are correct, mm-hmm. Yathy. Thank and you. What, <laughs> what, what did happen, though, around the, um, particularly in the 16, 1700s, a lot of people decided Latin was the best language in the world next to Hebrew. So they wanted to go back to the original Latin type spellings. So they chucked the C back in, even though no one pronounced it. And that's what happened. And that's what trumped Mr. Trump when he (laughs) was indicated or whatever. Mm. Yes. Well, C words are often confused. Climactic and climatic. One referring to the climax, the other to the climate. Right. We had that. Wasn't that, Ross, was that in your, uh, that doesn't mean what you think it means. I think we yeah. had it. Yes. Yeah. So. And the example was, was, uh, was it, I think it was uh, Cosmopolitan magazine talked about having the most climatic moment with your man or something yes. like that. <laughs> we don't think that we're talking about the temperature. We don't. This no. <laughs> is a hunch. Well, maybe, well, maybe body temperature perhaps. Yeah, right. <laughs> We also see eminent and imminent confused at times. 
that's an odd one because there's also the third word that I never think of that Ross, I've got to credit Ross on this one, put into the book, which is imminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, I believe. Yes. Um, that's I don't the know third that that's in there that... Um, we go back to English being so complicated because there's so many words that are spelled similarly, pronounced very similarly, and mean very different things and often come from very different roots, yeah. but you don't think so. And people just get very confused and, and, and fairly, I would say. You know, you can't really fault people on that one. Do you think yeah, that is, 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 this yeah. common, is this common in other languages as well? I mean, I was just thinking when you said that, the word steel, S-T-E-E-L and S-T-E-A-L, totally different. And there are so many homonyms in the English language that I would think a foreigner would, somebody trying to learn this language would really be confused at times. Well, that's a problem with English in particular, because English really is a kind of amalgamation of several languages. I mean, the, the Normans with their French sort of chucked into the old Anglo-Saxon, so you've got a mixture. And then later, of course, English took, you know, after the English uh, British conquered the world, a lot of other languages came in. But if you've ever studied Mandarin Chinese, I can speak from experience, there are a lot of homonyms in Mandarin Chinese because they're, they're you know, like the whole, the sounds are all individual sounds and they're kind of shoved together. But I'm not very good at tonal languages, so I was a disaster at Chinese. But <laughs> as Kathy can attest. Yes. <laughs> but it is interesting because there are a lot of homonyms in Chinese. And in fact, that's one of the key characteristics of the language because like numbers can be a number, but can also sound like something good. So therefore, numbers will be sort of homonyms for good fortune or whatever. Huh. But I gotta say, I think English though is is one of the worst. I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we've got so many foreign loan words, as they're called, um, and more other la many other languages, I should say, have tried to keep the purity, if you will, of the tongue. Um, mm -hmm. We've got the French, uh, Spanish. I mean, I'm in Spain now, so you don't have. Although here in Spain, everyone talks about email and your PIN number, so mm -hmm. you know you are getting the the bleed. But I, I mean, I'm just looking thinking right now the word peak, P I Q U E, is and you peak your interest, which is a French word that we use theoretically regularly, which sounds just like peak, as in the peak of a mountain, P-E-A-K. And we've or, seen that a lot used, we've seen that written a lot of times, that peaked my interest as in mountain, rather or than- Or as in peaked, P-E-E-K, yes. as in I peaked at something. I mean, yes. so, I mean, it's it's really mind boggling. And I, I tell you, I have the utmost uh, respect for anyone learning English as a second language. I really do. And I, I, I can't think, imagine. Mitch, I wonder if Donald Trump has learned it as a second language. <laughs> An endless source of misused words. Once when he was referring to a trip to Israel, he said his goal was to promote the possibility of a lasting peach. <laughs> How did I miss that one? That's beautiful. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. <laughs> well, it's kind of fruitless, isn't it? Oh, oh God! Oh. Forgive me. That was the pit. Sorry. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, a reminder that uh, to our listeners, if you want to join this conversation, our number here is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. And uh, should we take a call? Sure. Absolutely. Let's hey. go. WBAI, you're on the air. Hey, how are you guys? So far, so great. Good. By the great. way, guys is another word that could mean all sorts of different things. 
I want to say a couple of things real quick. First of all, when Trump went to Israel, he also said he realized after six hours of meeting with Abbas and the Palestinians that they really wanted peace. He said that within two minutes, he realized when the Israelis came in the room, all they wanted was the American money to continue without having to try to even make the peace. So he's not that stupid. Huh? But he um, did say peach. He didn't say peace. The other thing that he said. And people have talked and people try to impeach him a number right. of times. But the other thing he did say was that the migrants would hurt blacks the most. When he closed the border, he said that this would hurt blacks the most. Now, Curtis Sliwa, if you go on his Facebook page, he has an interview with a black woman, Regina Smith, outside the Roosevelt Hotel as they're marching hundreds of migrants into four-star hotel rooms. Regina Smith and another black woman who's just lost her mind watching this. She's screaming. Regina Smith is talking to Curtis Lewa. Everyone should go see this. It proves what Trump was saying. Blacks will be hurt the most by this. And the money that we're spending on this, um, it's a boondoggle because it's totally unnecessary. When they were asked to stay at the Mexican side of the border, they stayed home. And it helped mm-hmm. Mexico, too, because Mexico didn't have to deal with it. So, well, guys, we have to give credit where it's due. This is a language segment. This is not a—I don't want to get into political fight here. So, But thank you so much for your call. And uh, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Uh, yes. It's uh, you. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? I hear you. Yes, yes greetings to the beloved community such as we are these days. Um, This this DT, this is a beyond disaster, and his asshole mouth creating all the hostility and violence. I tell you, well, well, this refers to my question, okay? uh, the AWARE program had on a guest, I just remembered, got the first name, Ken, believe he's a Japanese-American who has a book called Happy Money. And one of his themes was that he, he used the term the Great Reset, Reset. I don't think he was meaning it as a Klaus Schwab's Great Reset and, and what a lot of COVID at our was about. But he's basically talked about things collapsing after they talked about the great inequities where, i.e., the Republicans want to, um, as no other advanced developed country, want to put work requirements on SNAP. But the question is, what do you, it's a two-parter, what do you see in the language that has us at this um uh, Harold Belafonte in 2017 at Carnegie uh, uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, I guess that's Carnegie Mellon University, actually said that he put it as Trump is a mistake, and then he was talking about gas chambers. So what language do you see that reflects this disastrous and failed state of the U.S., and what hmm. language do you see that could come on in terms of turning things around? And I'll listen over the air. Thank you. Thank you. That's actually a really interesting question, because one thing Ross and I talk about all the time is how language has become weaponized now, sadly. Um People are taking words that are benign, that, that that have no judgment implied or just, you know, describing something. And it's becoming 
pejorative. It's becoming an attack or, and we take, we, we had mentioned on the podcast, we talked about the word woke, which has a really legitimate and wonderful background and it's being used as a negative now. And there's, and it oughtn't be. I mean, it's 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 just what it is. Do you know what I am, am I making sense here? Yeah, but I do think that I think the U.S. is going through profound changes. I, I think that, um, and I think language usually follows. I don't think language sets the agenda. I think language tends to follow the agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, as we as we undergo enormous changes. Um, language is, is trying to is running in place or trying to catch up and it's to some degree not doing it and to some degree doing it. And I, I think that with that anger, I, I think we need to all kind of mellow down a little bit. But I don't think lang- it's it really language doing it. I think language is following the feelings, actually. Do you agree or not? I don't know. Are you asking me if I agree? I'm asking you, yeah, but yes, you guys, well, I don't definitely. feel language is pushing it. I think language is following behind. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I, I'm not sure that language ever has a, any other way unless some really influential person uses language in a certain way. Mm. And maybe some of those things will come up as we yeah. continue this conversation. Well, like Orwell did that, for example. Orwell's idea was, I mean, with 1984, his idea was that the government itself changes language and then in turn changes thought. And I think that's an interesting idea, but I don't think it tends to happen. Anymore. I don't know, Rosa, but I think you see that to some degree. We're getting kind of off grammar. And yeah. stuff. But anyway, I, <laughs> no. I, I think you do. I mean, I go back to the use of the word woke, which is trying to be reclaimed. I think you, you do see cycles with words queer used to be a pejorative and then and then and then it was reclaimed by the gay communities queer was our it's our word now that's and true we're gonna use, that's true and i think I'll you see you that, that. And you're seeing the pushback with woke i mean woke was for a while like it was only like a right-wing insult now people going yeah i'm woke and i like it you know what i mean so i think yeah. that you get this sort of curve all the time yeah you do that's true i still think though that usually language follows does not lead my guests on today's Leonard Lopate at Large are Catherine Ross Petrus. We're talking about the language and uh, inviting your calls. You're invited to participate. Our number here is 212-209-2877. Should we take another call? Sure. Okay. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, it's you. Yes, good. <laughs> I have a question on uh, the pronunciation of a word, but something that one of you said reminded me of my English teacher in high school. He said it's not nice, it's not proper to call someone ignorant. He said it's best to say they're innocent of knowledge. And I, Ooh, always, I like that. That, 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 that. that stuck with me. My, my question on the word, the same English teacher taught me this word, um, homage. Is it homage or is it homage? Wow. That was in our book. That's a really good one. (laughs) We feel good about that. (laughs) And on that one, we're about 50-50 in terms of pronunciation. Homage is gaining over homage right now, probably because of uh, British pronunciations who tend to prefer homage. But it's basically split. 
I think, Kath, you want to jump in here for it's something? Fr- you said British. You meant French. Oh, no, but I'm saying in Britain now they use Oh, oh okay. More. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. So the, it, yeah. No, no. No, in French, of course, it would be pronounced homage. And there is some thought that the British prefer that pronunciation, perhaps, because it has a class. That's the only one I've ever it. heard. I always thought that when people said homage, they were mispronouncing it. Really interesting because I'm a I'm a homage person. Uh, I, I like homage better than it's like I like foyer better than foyer. Oh you know well, I mean? me too. Yeah, good. Thank God. <laughs> I feel calmer. Foyer though. sounds pretentious, but uh, that's another thing. We do judge people by the way they pronounce words. Most definitely, and that's why homage seems to be gaining amongst people who are more educated because it sounds like mm. they know better about the, uh, you know, about words and origins and all of that. Hmm. Interestingly, though, it didn't used to be accepted in the dictionaries. They no. did not have homage as no. the, def- the pronunciation. It was exactly. homage. Exactly. And now they've added it because, and I think soon no one's going to, it's like you, Leonard, saying you thought homage was wrong. I think most people are going to think it's wrong now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But either way is fine, (laughs) right now at least. No one's going to laugh at you either way. Well, I am not going to correct a guest who pronounces it one way or the other. Okay, well, should we take another call? Yes. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Are you there? You have to speak up. Okay, well, let's forget that caller. Oh, yeah, you're there. Okay. Hello. Go ahead. Yeah, Ross and Kathy? Yes. Yeah, I was just wondering what you guys thought about uh, the usage of, uh, like, shortened expressions like merch for merchandise. We're seeing a lot of that. In fact, crossword puzzles like them a lot. This is an interesting question, because as Ross can attest, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a slang girl. I cut everything. I'm, I truncate. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I like things fast. I move fast. So I go, blah, blah. Ross is much more proper than I. Aren't you? Don't. You don't. Uh, cut, Although we just wrote a letter, we just wrote a letter to someone talking about the use of such as and uh, like, and I wrote, we tend to prefer, we use both when we write an intro. I did not say introduction. So I do shorten you things. You did yeah. say intro. You're right. I, I did. That. No, I think Kathy tends to do it more in conversation than I do. But I, we do do it a lot when we t- we're talking. We both do when we're working. But we written use, is a different story. And a lot yeah. of times, like merch and all of that, or merc or whatever, come as uh, in a way as a trade jargon. You use those when you're speaking quickly to a coworker or whatever. And right. I, I think it's fine. I wouldn't use it though in formal writing. I don't think not not normally. No. Yeah. It doesn't bother me in terms of conversation. It doesn't even really bother me in terms of casual writing. I think in more formal writing of uh, essay or something like that, it's best to be more best to be longer. So you avoid confusion. I mean, there are a lot of acronyms and shortened terms that uh, can be confused with different ideas, different meanings. Thank you for your call. Let's go to the next call. BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon. This Hi. is Rose from New Jersey. Hi, Rose. Um, I want to say this much, that I have been, I've lived out here as a child and then moved to New York City, and I've lived in Europe, and I've been around a lot of people who, in my effort to learn Italian and French and Spanish, have a much greater grip on English than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what I find fascinating, I call them, having been in the food business, I call people who try to 
doctor up their speech as phony balonies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and phony balonies will always try to up it. I'm one of the, what was the name of that guy who had lifestyles of the rich and famous? Oh, 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 oh. gosh. I could be the champagne dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Party one day uh, talking to Princess Aga Khan and um, Rita Hayworth's daughter. And that guy, he honed in on me because he was like studying what I the way I was speaking. Wow. And the other thing is that having traveled with people in the theater industry in in, in Italy, uh, when Donald talks about tremendous, it's tremendous. The word tremendous can be quite ugly in Italian. Hmm. About, it's a tremendous. Interesting. Person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it fascinates me that we're all on the computer now, and it has been studied by universities that we actually retain so much less if we're on the on the blue box, and then sitting down and reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be a great day when we get somebody in the White House who says, you know, education is more important than war. <laughs> oh God, yeah, oh, definitely. Oh, oh, your mouth, God's ears, as they say. You know? yeah. yeah, I come from military family, by the way. <laughs> Peacetime military. Okay. <laughs> but you're right about tremendous, because even in English, tremendous had initially it meant to be dreaded. It was terrible. Yes, exactly. And then it gradually got a different good connotation. Oh, well, so yeah, we talk about enormity how everyone uses enormity now just to mean big as opposed to what it used to mean you which know? is yeah, yeah terrible again, another, tremendously here, terrible here's a word here's a word that it's from the years of the pirates pieces of eight now can somebody explain to what that how that got put together oh it was um, the coins were broken up yeah so you oh, would really? get chunks of the gold coin wasn't that uh, it i'm just doing it was no up. it was uh, eight reals Eight bits. The Spanish dollar. Was, yeah, you're was, right. It was a you Spanish dollar. You cut it dollar. into pieces, eight pieces. Yes, you're right. Yeah, thank you. Are you talking to paper stuff or the gold ones? Gold. gold. They cut the coins oh. into chunks. How come, yeah. you know, how come down in Florida, where I lived for a while, uh, they have the Gold Coast, and people will go out trying to find money. And you always see, you know, the imaginary thing is that, oh, they're all nice, round, pretty coins. But they would cut them into quarters like a pie, huh? Yeah. Yep. It's so weird when you think about it. I well, it, it I, seems you so... know, when I hear Florida, I always think of the governor of Florida. So everything, <laughs> everything else. Who is not a piece of eight. But... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> one eighth. One eighth of um, very human for the job. Thank Alrighty, you. guys. It's always wonderful when you come on. Well, thank oh, you. Thank you. Uh, along those lines, um, before I take another call, why do you think people frequently uh, respond to an interviewer's question with, that's a great question? <laughs> I've always wondered what the appropriate think. response was. <laughs> should I say thank you or should I just ignore it? <laughs> I ignore it because all that it is is someone like me is going oh for god's sake i know what is answer. it say, say. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we you hear that an awful lot on on cable television shows mm-hmm. yeah they're like standard things that people say i noticed that with my wife is a bookseller and people never get a book 
they, when they ask about the price for a book, they go, I've acquired this piece. I've acquired this book. They never, I got a book here. What's the value? I acquired this book and I'm curious. They always say acquire. But, you know, we even, we did a show sometime in the past where we talked about people saying, uh, when you welcome them to your show, Thanks for having me. Yes. Which yes. always made me feel right. uncomfortable. Okay, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, hi, my favorite show. Listen, last night on uh, WQX, our classical station, they have a show. It's called Pipe Dreams. It's about pipe organ music. Hmm. And I thought, oh, it's a pun, obviously. And I thought pipe dreams, I've heard references to uh, surfing, you know, shooting the pipe of a wave. And I always thought I it had to do it, with drugs. Yes. That, in fact, that's when I Googled. It goes back to, what, 1880s? It refers to an opium pipe? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's, it it comes from uh, piping, di- uh, piping in opium. Exactly. Yeah, because oh, you, you get hallucinations. So, yeah. Would they have known that it, it, naming that uh, that wholesome pipe organ music? Hey, but here here's here's a cool one. You talk about peaking. This should, what would have piqued your interest fifty years ago today? Peak P I Q U E. You mean rather yeah. than P E? Well, yeah. I know there's like lots of them, but think of Mountain Peak. What would have mm. piqued your interest fifty years ago today? Was it Mount St. Helens? No, that's oh, not. That's no. too far away. Oh crap! Oh, sorry, <laughs> I can't think. Oh, you can it, say it, that no. word, uh, although it's, Mount, it's getting close. It's a uh, Hillary. They made it to the top of Mount Everest. Oh wow! That's fascinating. What a great pun! Brilliant. Peak of the peak. Wow! I didn't know that. And, and, and they weren't the first to get to the top. George Mallory also made it, but. But Hillary got to the top and came back down. The other guy yeah. fell. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, her eyes were covered, and she said, can I peek? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, though. The name Hillary, it's interesting we're talking about how words change. I, for some reason, I had this book on Edmund Hillary, and I asked, there was at this university, and I asked a bunch of students. No one knew who he was, which was really, really? interesting. Yep. Wow. Because uh, that was like ubiquitous when I was a kid. Everyone knew yes. who Sir Edmund Hillary was. Well, I guess he's well, been replaced by Clinton. Uh, <laughs> but probably, yeah. Well, wasn't yeah. she? Didn't she say she was named after him? Uh-huh. I think so. Her name is spelled different, yeah. though. Her name is different. Her, her, he had two L's. She has one L. So it's well. In in he's from Tasmania, and he he had an apiary there. You know what an apiary yeah. is? He was a bee guy. Yeah, he was a beekeeper in Tasmania. How? Yep. What made him? What made him go to the top of? Is it that boring being a beekeeper that you want? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't ask well, questions like that. Well, that's what the buzz like is. That. I know. Oh. People, why do people climb mountains? Why do people ski when they're normally librarians? I mean, mm-hmm. you can't ask mm-hmm. those kinds of questions. I never understand that. I, mean, I, I like terra firma. I, I don't like heights. I'm just like happy on the ground, doing mm-hmm. nothing daring. Well, thank you for your call. Uh, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes, it's you. Yeah, this is, uh, this is Wes from New Jersey. Okay. And uh, I heard some conversation about English before, and I would just like your thoughts about English as the language of commerce, 
because it, it is kind of sort of like a common denominator that borrows inflections from other languages in the course of commerce. And I think in that regard, as a common universal language, um, it does have value in that regard, albeit it loses a lot of its original identity. But by the same token, it absorbs and enriches itself. Just some mm -hmm. thoughts. That's it. Well, I must say, I live in Spain right now, and um, we moved here a little over a year ago. And the thing that fascinates me is we're in Granada, which is not a super, I mean, it's a city, but it's not like super, it's not like Madrid or Barcelona. So we don't have a ton of English here, but pretty much everyone has a passing uh, knowledge with it. So yes, English is certainly becoming the lingua franca. There's no question. Well, which is interesting when Kathy, just, which is interesting when Kathy just said the lingua franca. Mm -hmm. Lingua franca is Latin, and mm -hmm. Frank refers to French. Both of those <laughs> right. used to be. Both of those used to be the international languages. What does tend to happen with language around the world is something becomes a lingua franca. And for a while, it was Latin in the West, and probably Mandarin Chinese in the East. And in the middle, it was probably Hindi of some sort. And that changes as a country be, or a group becomes more and more powerful. But right now, it is English. And there's mm -hmm. also, interestingly enough, aviation English, which is a simplified form of English, which is a really good idea. Because you guys have people flying planes. You need people being able to understand each other really quickly before crashes occur or something. <laughs> That's a pleasant thought, but yes. <laughs> That's where I want communication to be clear. Yeah. yeah. You're but listening. it is valuable. You're listening to Let It Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. You say either, I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato. And now like we return to my guests, Catherine like and tomato. Ross Petrus. Like uh, they are the authors of a number of books about language, including That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means and Awkward Moments, A, love, a Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. Their most recent one is A History of the World Through Body Parts. They also have a podcast called You're Saying It's Wrong. And uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. And we invite your calls at 212-209-2877 if you want to join this conversation. But I, I've wondered about a number of mispronunciations. For example, uh, a friend who's a teacher tells me her students often refer to Stonehenge as Stonehenge. Do you, do you know why that is? Well, because we know we don't know the word henge, and we do know the word hinge. Mm -hmm. So we hear what we want to hear, and therefore we change the pronunciation. That's a common way of how words do actually change and and become more become seen as correct. Mm -hmm. uh, a word that's frequently misused is exponential. People use it as a synonym for rapid, but it really refers to change. Yep. Again, we go back to. I mean, it it it. it it's be so many words have that like the the miss 
usage becomes the norm. And and then it gets to the point, what we're talking before about, what were we talking about? That was the word that, um, uh, um, whatever. Um, and, and I think that you see that in this case. It's, it's now well, if... God, Ross, I'm sorry. No, I was going to, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kathy. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say quantum is another case because quantum means change of state. But we basically use quantum as like a quantum leap to me. Sounds huge. It sounds huge. Yes. It might not be. It might I've be just a tiny little. I've always thought it meant huge, a quantum leap. No, oh, interesting. No, we, we have written about this Because I've only heard it used that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's because it, it does imply a change of state. So the implication is by virtue of the thing. I think it's from Quantum Leap, the TV show, yes. that people started thinking it was Probably, something large. Yeah. Um, no, but it does not mean that. But we go back to so many words that we assume a meaning, which is not the real meaning, and then it becomes what people think, and then it sort of loses the original meaning along the way. Exactly. If you said, I made a quantum leap today, I would presume it's a large change. <laughs> and if you said exponential, I would assume it's you meant big, not necessarily the correct pronunciation, but I would I mean the correct meaning, but I would assume it. And that's what happens. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think about words becoming, um, adding ed to verbs like authored instead of written by? Well, authored, That's I hate. That's a really good question. I don't mind in you, such case. <laughs> Authored, I, as soon as you said it, I just like, You're I authored. tensed and cringe. It's <laughs> true. I, but it's like what we were talking about before, I think, with homage and uh, foyer. I, I think so much of English lately is people want to sound kind of like hotsy-totsy. It's like, ooh, authored. You authored Sounds better book. than written. I, I'm all in the written camp. I'm, I'm a Hemingway girl in that. <laughs> I, I like strong, simple muscular language. I really do. Let's take some more calls. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, hello? Yes, it's you. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, okay. So, I just have uh, some uh, observations about certain words. And I guess uh, their pronunciations are influenced by uh, you know, locale and culture, so that kind of mm -hmm. you know, trans transcends like the 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 accuracy. Uh, you know, as far as like uh, the cor well, the correlation to the, the the spelling. Okay, like I'll give an example. Okay, so as like you know, Americans and you know. Uh, Canadians, we have a, a you know a way of speaking English. It's not you know it's not consistent with how how the British speak English. So, uh, like the word night like ninety, well we pronounce it as ninety, but that's not correct because there's no d in there, so we add the d. And so the only way that for us to say it correctly is to like is to abandon our our accent and adopt the British accent for one word basically. Hold on, it's interesting what you're saying because it's true. There, there. Technically, I would argue there's no such thing as really correct pronunciation. There's regional pronunciations, as you're saying, hmm. that are considered correct in that area, and 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 that's what we go by. It's a very inexact um, theory, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, how because you can't say you're right. Nine. Technically, it would be ninety. It's like I had a friend who always said literally. And I mean, I would I say literally. I, mm -hmm. I do like almost. It is literally. Yeah, we yeah. absorb the sound. Oh, literally, we absorb oh, yeah. the sound. 
and then in English, in American English, the T next to the N becomes a D sound, which is mm. correct. And right. interestingly enough, in the Oxford English Dictionary, it lists in effect as correct. It doesn't tell you it is, but it says the British pronounce it with a T, the Americans pronounce it with a kind of a slurred D T sound. So mm. I mean, D sound. So both are correct, as you said. It just depends on where you are. Well, thank you for your call. Getting back to the authored question I asked her. I just remember that an arts journal recently used the word arting to create. Oh, my God. Oh, we wrote oh, a little piece oh. on that years ago. <laughs> we both hate arting as a uh, we hate it. Yeah. No, don't art. There, there are certain things you don't yeah. do, and yeah. arting is one of them. Mm. Frankly, I don't know. What do you what do you two think of gifting? I don't like gifting either. Gifting has been around though a long yeah. time. It has, but it doesn't, I don't but I don't do like it. it. I just never use it. I never yeah. do either. I don't like it. I, I gifted him a, I gave, I gave him a gift. Him a yeah. presence. Yeah. Some, <laughs> if something was gifted, is that okay? Technically, but I hate it. I, yeah, I would say give it. The only thing I, the only way I, use, I like using it is regifting. Mm -hmm. That has to me a distinct meaning. Well, that's when it really took off, though. Was yeah, I wouldn't the say regiving. Yeah. Uh, Regifting really is, it hits it, I think, for me. Yeah. But arting, no, there's no. never an excuse arting. for arting. You do not art. No. You do not art, you nor do you art. offer, and you never offer things. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's hard enough to say he, he or she makes art. <laughs> Let's, the language is so pitfally, isn't it? To, to coin a phrase. <laughs> Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Finally, is that me? It's you. Oh, hello, Leonard. This is Jack from Brooklyn. You Hi, know Jack. Well. I've stopped by before. Uh, I, I love the way you guys are using those science words. <laughs> Theory, <laughs> uh, technical. It's technical, of course. Everybody says technically. Uh, quantum doesn't mean what people think it means. It means discrete. But yeah. everybody has a hard yes. time understanding what discrete means. So they use words like... Uh, and then, of course, my favorite, and I, I taught high school for a long time, and I'm a science uh -huh. teacher. So, so the word uncertain, <laughs> the uncertainty principle is not the mm. uncertainty principle. He was certain about what he discovered. It was <laughs> indeterminacy. <laughs> it's that, the that's one of the best phrases I've heard. Sorry, go on. <laughs> it's a German translation. Uh, and what I really called about was the idea of the piece of eight. Mm -hmm. The Spanish uh, cob or uh, what they call eight reals, as it was said, eight reals, I guess you would say, eight reals, depending upon how you pronounce it, uh, was really a coin that was easy to chop into half yeah. because it had a cross on the back. And mm -hmm. then you chop that in half, and you get a piece of eight. A mm -hmm. quarter of a piece mm -hmm. of eight is two bits. Yeah. And in America, we make a half cent uh, excuse me, half cent, right, not a penny. In America, we call it the cent. In England, we call it the penny. The half cent is made so that you can make change of a quarter of a piece of eight. But, I it, love but this. in England, a half penny is called a halfpenny. Yeah, yeah, not a half penny, a halfpenny. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and just one more for your uh, your guests and and you, Leonard. They used to publish in the middle of the newspaper, the broadsheets, a a conversion between uh, Spanish money, American money, French money, American money, English money. The United States didn't have money pretty much until about 1840, 1850, 1860, 1856. They retired the large cent. And they uh, gave you the, the Flying Eagle scent. Yeah. And yeah. previous to that, we didn't have any copper or any silver or any gold to make into real money. So it so went with it, slavery? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. With, with slavery, it was a matter of people were more valuable than, 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 than the product. So mm-hmm. somehow it's, it's kind of hard to talk about enslaving people at the same time you talk about the value of the money. I just meant that, that, the, that the, the, the word usage changed the same time that we were getting rid of slavery with the Civil War. Oh, no, no. It, it was, uh, I believe the reason why the piece of aid was made equivalent to the dollar, as was mentioned, was because our dollar was, was, was put with so much silver, 0.78. But we had mm. no native silver in the country until well into the discovery of Nevada. So, so uh, 0.78 ounce of silver in the dollar was equivalent to the Spanish trade, uh, uh, as you said, piece of eight, as was said. And then that uh-huh. was made to be so that we could exchange our money without going nuts about how much mm-hmm. silver or how much uh, value was in that coin, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of goes back to what happened with Isaac Newton hmm. when he... Uh, he hung some uh, some counterfeiters in England because in the old days they used to make the pennies by make the coins by smashing them with an anvil and a hammer, and then they would clip them like little fingernails of silver get melted down, and then mm-hmm. you, you would, that's called clipping. And mm-hmm. this all comes from being a coin collector and understanding that at the end of the day, people don't like to have their money, you know, sent overseas to the other country and then mm-hmm. sent back, back to us in terms of gold. They buy more and they send it back to France as silver coins because the British mm-hmm. were making silver coins that were over silver valued. The things we learn while we're talking about the language. <laughs> Thank Leonard, you. Leonard, I want to make sure you hear me say this because your guests are really, really very interesting to me. Language is the house of being. We live in a world made of words. Yes, Ooh, I, I like, like that. that. Thank you. I like that. We're going to quote you all the time now. <laughs> Thank you for your call. And a reminder to listeners, the number here is 212-209-2877. Before we go to another call, I have a question. Um... When did the word leverage replace utilize in some instances? A corporate directory writes, if your stakeholders have any questions, they can leverage the guide on the portal. Oh, good God. Couldn't I, they I, have I, simply I, said use? <laughs> that well, is, I don't I, even like utilize personally. No, so we, had, we did a thing on that, utilize versus use. But yeah. leverage is now going, it's a quantum leap. Into, into <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, I have I have not been aware of this, but Leonard, you've, you've ruined my day because now I'm going to have to follow this I up. Know. I know. Authoring and oh, now leveraging. I know. See, well, here we go back to the people like making things sound more complex and they should be. I mean, really, they do. And leverage is a really cool business word because, I mean, you know, for the stock market, you can leverage a, li- a dollar into a million, you know, by borrowing, et cetera. And so I have a feeling leverage has a kind of cool connotation, so they use it. There's no need mm-hmm. to for that case. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Speak to Catherine and Ross Petrus. 
Hello. Hi, is that me? It's you. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I was wondering if they would be willing to talk about something that might be a little controversial, but you guys mentioned uh, Orwell, Orwell earlier. And I'm really interested in the way certain words and language changed during COVID. For uh -huh. instance, vaccine. You know, they the vaccines are really gene therapy. They're not traditional vaccines, but that changed. Um, the term case, a COVID case changed. A case used to mean you had to be actively sick, whereas they changed it so that a case meant all you needed was a positive test, even if you weren't sick. Um, other things, too, like natural immunity, they change it to make it seem less comprehensive than what it, the traditional definition normally is. And um, even things like the science, people say trust the science, but the science, you know, people, scientists on both sides have an opinion, but the science, science seems to be what the authorities or the people in power say the science is, so that becomes the science. I trust the science. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I was just wondering if you guys could talk talk about that since you mentioned Orwell earlier. I know it's controversial, but it is something we all just lived through, and you're talking about language, how it ch controls people, controls people's thoughts. Uh, I trust the science. Natural, you know, people would ridicule natural immunity. They used all these case numbers to push this agenda. So, you know, however you feel about this or that, you know, that was something we experienced. I was wondering if they could. And, and I wonder that. how Orwell would have responded to the fact that we now use his name in word the word Orwellian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, but don't yeah exactly how that changes. Even even um, even with um, people people use the term um, COVID nineteen eighty four. Right? <laughs> so, how know, did I not hear that? <laughs> I must have been asleep. But I, I love that. I, I think that's an interesting topic. I mean, we, what we were saying before, or I was saying before, is how words not only change, they get weaponized, they get twisted, and I and I think. It gets so complicated. What, Ross, I, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep talking. I was going to say, oh, the one thing I was going to say, though, is in terms of vaccination, though, the word itself is relatively um, non-controversial because it really goes back to, because it comes from the Latin waka cow, and it refers to the fact of putting something into the body, as Jenner did when he was uh, injecting or or putting a cowpox virus into mm. uh, into humans. So it started so with cowpox, and yeah, then, cowpox, and then which is a mild being used for any anything that we use. Yeah, but I don't think that the word itself. I mean, you know, you're putting a you you have a certain definition of how it's this. You know, well, the COVID, whatever, the mRNA, yeah. I guess, or this way, and this is that yeah. way. But the word itself really. Either way, if you want to be against vaccination or for vaccination, the word itself is pretty, it hasn't really changed, I think. I think interpretations of is That's, this good see, or not. This is changed. what I was saying before, Ross. I mean, this mm -hmm. is what I was saying, where I think that more so of late, um, we're, we're adding a, a, a weight to different words. Yes. And they're being, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I got a cough. And I think that we're taking like a very basic concept and, and, and 
either side, either point of view, or many points of view, are taking it and making it mean what they what they want it to mean, as opposed to the very basic meaning that it has had and and still really does. Yeah, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you, caller. We're going to sneak another call in here. Bai, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, um, it's you. This is Ross in Brooklyn. Another Ross. Um, three oh. things. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Ross is just happy. There's another Ross. Have a good there. name. A very good name. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent okay. name. So, yeah. Okay. Three three quick things. One is I commonly hear among very well educated people the Latin phrase etc. Um, and all the rest pronounced etc. Oh golly. Yes. Another one uh, is, well, people are, I think many people now can no longer distinguish singular from plural in the case of words derived from Latin or Greek. Uh, bacteria, for example, uh, people will use that as a singular, but bacterium is what they mean. Mm -hmm. And the final one, a pet peeve, is to beg the question. And almost everyone, when I hear it, and it's usually on public broadcasting, radio or TV, misunderstands and misuses this phrase. I love you. That, <laughs> you this Ross has just mentioned that is, Kathy's, that is Kathy's betoir. She's always talking about that one. No one knows what beg, they think begs the question means to like ask the question or it makes me think of the question, which is not the case. Okay, right. sorry. Well, explain it. Please, Kathy, explain it. What is beg begging the question? No, Kathy, you do it. You do it. It's your it's your, it's it's a, your it's stick. It's a term from logic. It has nothing to do with it makes me think. It doesn't raise the question. Begs the question. Begging the question is a law is a term from logic. It is it has nothing to do with just like, gee, that just made me think of that. It means it's it's it doing a question under the assumption that has already been answered. Is that correct? Right. Correct. Right. Thank you. I got a D in logic. I, I have to mention. I did, I told, but I remember my logic. I know. Kathy hates me. I told her to take logic, and she did. And then she forget it. And NYU. What about his other two statements? Et cetera means uh, people say X instead of et, and X means out of. Et it's just Latin ignorant. And. And it's a huge difference in terms of meaning, and uh, it should be et cetera. And I'm very much a stickler on that one. I hate well, it. Is, well, it's like it when is, people say espresso instead of espresso. Yes. That bothers me as well. Well, actually. but et cetera is abbreviated E T C, not E X C. So right, uh, right. Pronouncing it the other way is a bit excessive, don't you think? Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And what was the third thing he he mentioned? I'm sorry. Well, I, don't begs the qu I was so caught on begs the question. I, I, as soon as I heard I that, I <laughs> although no. one thing I got to say though, now increasingly begs the question is used in the wrong way, and the wrong way in effect is now becoming the right way. I, see I still say place. though, why don't you just say if you're talking about raising a question, why are you saying begs the question? I, you're saying I it, it to sound smart, and you're not sounding smart. You're using it incorrectly. I'm sorry. It it just sets my teeth on edge. Just say. It it raises the question. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's all. Well, it makes I'll you wonder. Down. Doesn't begs the question mean it makes you wonder about the question? 
No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> it, it, it means you're trying to prove something based on a premise that uh, also needs to be proved itself. So uh, it's really complicated. It's it's not. It's circular it's, reasoning. Thank you. That's the best way of putting it. Yeah. We don't have a lot more time left. And in the end of our shows these days, because we are going through a rough economic period, we do fundraising. So some of the words that came up in my mind to ask about, one of them is fundraiser. Another one is supplication, to supplicate, and, <laughs> and, and also beseech. Am I beseeching the listeners? <laughs> You're on your knees there, Leonard, aren't you? <laughs> well, fundraising is, 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 I'm sure you can guess the, the foundation of yeah. fundraising. It's fund, which is... Yes. Uh, Raising funds. From... <laughs> no, a different kind of fund. This is a bottom fund. And you're basically raising stuff from the bottom. Hmm. So that's not a particularly nice way of looking at your listeners, but that's the origins of the word. I'm really? going to say, I just looked up fundraiser out of curiosity in the OED, and they helpfully have two pronunciations. Did you see that, Ross? Are you clicking no. on it? Oh, no. they have one for British pronunciation. Oh, fundraiser. One for American. Yeah, I just saw. <laughs> In England, you'd pronounce it fundraiser. <laughs> In most American. And should I be supplicating my listeners? Well, or beseeching supplic them. Supplicating is actually okay. I, I think we have. It has a slightly kind of icky sort of meaning to us right now, maybe, but it just means under, under and placarious to calm. So you're just basically trying to plead. But humbly, you're beseeching. Yeah, you're exactly. asking very earnestly. It's like, please. Right. It's, it's very nice. It's a very nice word. You can supplicate all you want, Fred. It's all you want. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're out of time, but I was wondering, Catherine, does living in Spain make you more aware of the nuances of the English language? Actually, that's a really good question. It does. Oh, it's it a really does. good question. I, that's a really good question. It does indeed. And it also makes me ashamed that I did not study a second language more when I was a kid. Because everybody here is earnestly helping. They're, they're, I'm supplicating. <laughs> Please understand me. And they're all being so kind with my with my terrible, terrible Spanish. It's getting a little better, but still, yeah. No, it's it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a very entertaining and interesting situation. And uh, I'll get I, back to you in a year. <laughs> I recommend your latest book, A History of the World Through Body Parts, which is published by Chronicle Books. And people can pick up some of your other books. That doesn't mean what you think it means. An Awkward Moments, a, a Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. They can also hear your podcast. You're saying it wrong. How do they access that? Um, that's available on, it's on a Apple, uh, on Stitcher, on everything. You can go to everything. Spotify, yes. all the ones that we are available on. The biggies, yes. yes. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for being with us again. I look forward to your next visit. We love you being too. on this show. 
We beseech you to have us back. <laughs> we supplicate you to. <laughs> well, but that does bring us to the end of the show. My great thanks to Deborah Freeman for all of her help in preparing this program. And if you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 800 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that podcasts are available. You can... Uh, if you'd like to reach me, write to me. My email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. And right now I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting BAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We're asking all of our listeners uh, to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to wbai.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now. That's give and the number 2. WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member for $10, $15, $20, $25 a month, whatever that you're comfortable with, what we call a BAI buddy. And that allows us to plan for the future. And if you sign up to become a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more, we'll be happy to send you a WBAI tote bag. But either way, Please call right now because we rely 100% on listener donations. WBAI is the only station on the New York dial that is totally supported by its listeners. So don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. And from all of us at the station, thank you very much. And we hope you'll join us tomorrow when David Gessner will discuss his new book, A Traveler's Guide to the End of the World. 